You are listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. All right, we are still in treasure hunt. Remember last week we talked about how work doesn't feel like work when you're trying to find something valuable, right? I told you about how all of my life, my boys need to know this, um, um, I've been asked to dig up something or dig out something. Had an old man in my church I grew up in, John Maxey, old army sergeant that literally took a four-foot level to his yard to make sure it was level. And if it wasn't level, I was um, always the first one that they would call to come over. Every winter, being the preacher's kid and especially after sixth grade when I was homeschooled. Um, I was also the one that got driven to old ladies' homes to dig out snow. Um, Fifteen of the 30 houses on my street. So I've been digging my whole life. Never liked to dig. I don't know anybody that likes to dig. I really don't. Unless it's with a bobcat, then it becomes fun, right? Tear up something. Um, but, uh, you know, the uh, changes everything when you know there's something under there that you really, really want. Um, If you told me out in that field there was uh, a box of treasure, oh, yeah, I'm grabbing a shovel, and I'm enjoying it until I find it Um, because it's a treasure hunt. We looked at Psalm 19. Why don't we look at that one more time? Psalm 19, let's look at verse number 7. I will tell you we are going to use our Bibles this evening. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So one thing that needs to be said is at this point, you know, um, the author, if you, uh, there's handouts there, and then there's little black books. You'll need at least a black book to share. Um, So David is the author, King David. Um, He writes this song, and really, what they would have had at the time would have been probably just the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So what he's referring to are those five books. So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So um, uh, David is speaking of the first five books. I believe it's okay to make the interpretation that um, it can apply to all of God's word. And within God's word is great reward when we learn to keep them. So we called it treasure hunt. Whenever we go to the word of God, we open it knowing that God has something meaningful and valuable for every time we read it. We talked about the fact that when we open up God's word, we do not... Uh, read to gain knowledge, though that's a good thing. We should know more and more about God's book. Um, There are facts in here that are good to know. There are people in here that are good to know. All of those things are good to know. But the purpose for the writing isn't to know facts. Uh, 
the purpose of God's word is to change our hearts and change our minds. And I said, if you read the Bible and it doesn't change you, you are reading it wrong. We need change. None of us have arrived. We all need change. Something about us that needs to change. So, we talked about how Bible study is a method. There's a product and a process. We looked at all those things. We started with step one in observation and how um, a detective can go into the same place as a beat cop and see the exact same stuff, but one sees and understands the clues and the other just sees a bloody mess. It's all about what you see. The most fundamental, important part of Bible reading and Bible study is observation. We need to learn to observe. So what do we try to observe? I've given you seven things that we're going to look at right now. The first thing should be pretty obvious. If you're reading a book. Look at the words. I uh, know, I'm telling you, I'm blowing your mind right now. Look at the words. Um, just grammatically speaking, it'll help you determine what the meaning is. So you try to find parts of sentences, nouns, verbs, adverbs, adjectives, um, you know, all of those different things that make up a sentence. If you're really good at grammar and you can dissect a sentence, it might help you out in Bible study as well. Others of us married a teacher, and we're grateful. <laughs> um, notice people, places, and things. Man, can I tell you, this will just open up the meaning of the text. When you, uh, <coughs> excuse me, when you um, are able to identify the people, when you're able to identify the places, I mean, think about it. We studied Joseph today, and it takes on a new meaning when you understand how far Nazareth was to Bethlehem and how much of a journey and hardship he would have faced getting his nine-month pregnant wife from A to B. Um, um, so you need to mention, you need to see who's mentioned, where they are, and what they're doing. Matthew 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount. Most people, I'm going to guess some of you, when you think Sermon on the Mount, you think Jesus is preaching to a multitude of people. But is that really the case? Let's go there. Matthew chapter 5. Verse number 1. Oops, I'm in Mark. That did not look right. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. All right, it says, and seeing the multitudes. All right, well, surely that means there's multitudes there, right? He, that is, so one thing you have to notice is that's Jesus. The, I have a red letter edition, so that kind of helps me. Uh, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. We have the idea that the Sermon on the Mount was preached to just huge crowds, 
But the text seems to tell us, just by simple observation, that it was just him and his 12 disciples. Think about that. The most famous sermon ever preached was first heard by only 12 different people. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I'd have to do a little research on what mountain the Sermon on the Mount was given, because off the top of my head, I do not remember. Um, uh-huh. Right, and most of them in the area are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, that's right. But, I mean, let's think about it. So you, uh, just a simple observation says he went up into a mountain. And automatically we should be thinking, well, what mountain is that? Right? Um, it's not Mount Everest, I'm assuming, right? Um, that would be quite a sermon <laughs> preached on top of Mount Everest. But um, So, you know, you have to go through and see if it was the mountain Jerusalem was on. Maybe it was Gershom across the way. Um, whatever it was at the time. But yes, that's a simple observation that can add meaning to the text. So you want to look for people, places, and things. There we just see there was a multitude, but Jesus talked to just the disciples. Um, Notice terms that you do not know. I'm going to guess when you read the Bible, that happens pretty often. It happens to me as well. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. If you have a different version, this will probably come up a little different. Um, But again, many of them translate the exact same way. 1 John 2, chapter 2. It says, and he is the propitiation for our sins well I don't know about you but I don't use propitiation on a daily basis unless my children are in a lot of trouble (laughs) so someone tell me does anybody know what propitiation means Uh uh-huh okay so we at least have the idea of atonement okay Anybody else? So I will say this. This is one instance where I think um, uh, of many that I think the KJV does um, a better job. Now, one reason I think some of the newer ones do that is just because propitiation is not a word that we use a lot. But as far as what the meaning behind the word is, the Greek word, propitiation is a much better word than atonement. Um, It's not like the KJV... Um, translators didn't know what atonement was um, so they could have very easily used that word but they they used propitiation on purpose because uh, atonement um, is very broad in its definition where propitiation has the idea of um, wrath behind the judgment and propitiation someone stepping in and not just making someone clean also making the wrath be assuaged. Um, so you have a 
a wrathful God that is pleased in the sacrifice of the one being sacrificed, namely Jesus. Um, so you get the idea of um, a mama telling her boy not to go outside in the backyard and get real dirty. And mama leaving, and here comes daddy to the rescue as the boy comes in really, really dirty. And the dad gets dirty, cleaning the boy, and mom gets home to discover dad is now dirty. Not only did he save the boy, he took the judgment. Okay? Um, so what was being said here is Jesus not only gave the cleansing, he took the judgment for us. Um, the propitiation of our sins. But I'm going to guess, if you were, had that in your Bible and you were like, okay, I haven't used propitiation since at least last Thursday. I need to remember what that means. Um, that would be a word that you'd mark and highlight and say, okay, what do I need to do to find the meaning of that text? Um, let's see. I did not put that there. Where was I at? Um, go with me to, yes, Romans 8.1. Another thing we're supposed to notice is connecting words. Romans 8.1. The Apostle Paul, who wrote many of the books in the New Testament, is known for these connecting words. Romans 8.1. What are the th first three words? There is, therefore, if you look at chapter number two, chapter number five, and other chapters in Romans, they start with that word, therefore. A basic Bible principle is, you ask yourself the question, what is that therefore? Therefore, right? Um, all it does is connect what happens in verse one to what happened in chapter seven. Okay, um, it's a connecting word. It's connecting a thought. And the Apostle Paul is, especially in Romans, he's making an argument. And then the therefore is usually the conclusion or the summary statement of the argument. So in order to preach Romans 8 verse 1, you really had to know Romans 7. Um, and they connect all of the time. We're going to see that this happens a lot in the Gospels here in a little bit. Any questions on looking at words? Yes. Yes, that's for sure. So, yeah, he brings up a great point. Um, especially the Apostle Paul. Um, the, when you read Romans, it really would have done us well if they were... Um, broken the chapters were much longer like Romans chapters 1 through 3 in my opinion would be easier to read if it was just one chapter uh, Romans chapter 4 and 5 maybe even throw 6 in there be much better if it was just the second chapter of the book and here I you can't read Romans 8 without Romans 7 
they should be one chapter together. Um, Romans 9, 10, 11 should be one chapter. Um, and then the rest of the book is probably pretty good. But um, yes, this is definitely one place where if you just say, let's read Romans chapter 8, you're really missing out on the reason for Romans chapter 8. Um, so if it was just, you know, no verses or chapters, it would definitely be easier to understand. Yeah. Very good point. Anything else? Number two, look for things that are emphasized. So when you have a preacher, you can usually tell something that he's passionate about just by the way he speaks. Maybe he'll get really loud, right? Maybe he'll, his face will turn really red. Both of those things happened to me. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I tear up a little. That never happens. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look for things that are emphasized. One way is to think about the amount of space. I, I don't know if, did I give you all that information? Genesis 1 through 11 and all that, Jens? So think about this. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 handles a period of time of about 2,000 years. Just 11 chapters in 2,000 years. It's amazing how quick that all goes. Uh, so that's creation flow. But Genesis 12 through 50 centers on the lives of four different men. So in chapters 12 through 50, I mean, you're, you, know, you have 11 chapters that cover 2,000 years. Chapters 12 through 50, so you have 39 chapters that cover four men's lives. What do you think should be emphasized? Probably the four men's lives, right? Why? Because the Bible emphasized that. I mean, the Bible could have gone into more detail on Enoch's life, but it doesn't. The Bible could have gone into more detail on a number of Seth. I mean, think about it. We know some about Cain and Abel. But we know very little about Seth. The Bible could have gone into more detail, but it didn't. So it's really important to the Bible for us to know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are. Um, and then Joseph, obviously. Um, so if that is the case, maybe God is trying to tell us, these are my people. We need to know how I deal with my people. Um, that's interesting to me. Another example, the Gospel of John. So um, does anybody know what the synoptic Gospels are? That's a big word. You're not going to find that word in the Bible, unless it's in your study Bible. Synoptic means similar, the same. Matthew's a synoptic Gospel. Mark's a synoptic Gospel. Luke is a synoptic Gospel. And then you have John. He's over here by himself doing his own thing. <laughs> What's interesting, though, John chapters 1 through chapter 10 are pretty similar to the Synoptic Gospels. They do cover a couple different stories that the others don't. But chapter 11 starts uh, just a few days before Passion Week. You know what Passion Week is? The week of Jesus' death. And then you get into chapter 12... Oh, I'm taxing myself. Um, chapter, I know chapter 13 is the washing of the feet. Chapter 14 is them walking from the upper room to Garden of Gethsemane. So is chapter 15. Chapter 15 is I'm the true vine, ye are the branches. 
Chapter 16 is more teaching along the way. He's going to send the comforter to come. Chapter 17 is that prayer. I call it the Lord's Prayer. And then you have chapter 18 and 19 that are obviously going to the cross. Um, and then you have chapter 20, which is the resurrection. So you have chapters 11 through chapter 20 that covers maybe 10 days. Think about that. That's amazing to think about. That the first 10 chapters cover three and a half years. And then most of the rest of the book is... 10 days, about a chapter a day. Isn't that amazing? John gives us a lot more detail than the other writers do on that. Let's turn to John real quick. So the second thing you should know is the stated purpose. Whenever you read a book, what was the books written for? They didn't just write books to write books. You know, some people seem to do that today. <laughs> they just write books to write books. But back in the day, it was an expensive process. In order to get the right materials, you know, we could go to the store today and buy any pen we wanted to buy. In fact, we could buy large uh, boxes of pens from Amazon or pen.com or things like that. But back in the day, to have anything that would write, it was a pretty expensive process. But that doesn't even include the stuff you had to write on. Because they just didn't have it. They had to go through a process to make it. And the process was long. It was hard. So when they wrote something, many times they would write the reason for the book. So find the stated purpose of the book. John chapter 20. Look at verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. So John is telling us. This is the reason I wrote this gospel. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, ye might have life through his name. John tells us, I wrote this to be evangelistic. I want you to know who Jesus is so that you can believe on Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the only gospel writer that tells us about the story of John and Nicodemus is John. I'm sorry, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus <laughs> was, the gospel, was John the Apostle. Um, so in that account, we had the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's interesting that he wrote that, and the reason why he wrote that is because of that kind of Statement of purpose right there at the end of the book. Um, other writers do this as well. Uh, Solomon did that when he wrote the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, chapters two through, or chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Um, think about the order of material. We're not going to read this. But in Luke chapter number 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. Great event. Could you imagine being able to be a preacher and say, I baptized Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. That would probably be the first thing on my resume. Be honest with you. Take that, Robert Jeffress. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I don't have any wrong with <laughs> Right there. Pa uh, baptized Jesus. But right after that, do you know what happens? Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted 40 days by Satan himself. That would not make my resume. <laughs> right? But the principle is simple. If you do something good for God, Satan's going to show up. Right? The order of the material is vitally important. You have other things. and Listen, there's numbers of ways to emphasize things. One of the things is movement from lesser to greater. You have creation week. Now, as far as materials go, it was from greater to lesser. But as far as importance goes, it's from lesser to greater. You start with just space and all of these planets and things moving to the life of mankind, lesser to greater. Number three, look for things that are repeated. Things that can be repeated are terms, phrases, clauses, characters, incidents, patterns, New Testament use of Old Testament passages, parallels. Um, there's so many things that can be repeated. But the big thing is words or phrases. If you see those, especially at uh, you know, an early stage of Bible study, if you get words and phrases down, you're going to help yourself out a lot. Turn to Psalm 136. <clears throat> Will somebody read that for me? You don't have to read the whole thing. I think it's 24 verses, if I'm not mistaken. Someone tell me how many verses are there. 26. Shoot. John, can you uh, read the first couple of verses for me? So that's good. Um, uh, if you read the chapter, you would have his love endures forever, depending on the version. You have his mercy endureth forever, depending on the virgin. And so what is being expressed? Um, one thing that is noticeable, I'm just going to say this. Um, this is a song, right? Psalm 136, right? Um, who's the author? Can someone tell me? The given author? It doesn't give an author? Okay. Um, but whoever the author was, it was used in Israel's worship. And if I'm not mistaken, each verse has that phrase, his mercy endureth forever, used every single time. Right? Everybody else? Well, Psalm 136. Um, it ends with his mercy endureth forever. That tells me a couple things. One, it's not necessarily vain repetition if it's praising God. So, maybe we should give some new songs a break. Ooh. I'm just saying, it's in the Bible. <laughs> when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> that one gets a pass. But any new song that has a couple of repeats, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, if it's okay in the Bible, maybe it's okay for us. Can I repeat that? If it's okay in the Bible... Maybe it's okay for us. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, they'll have a two-word phase repeated over and over and over again. They'll say, by faith, Abraham. 
by faith, David. By faith and by faith, the entire chapter, that's why it's called the Hall of Faith. The teaching is all about faith. So those are just two examples where the Bible uses something that repeats to show us what is really important in the passage. As a detective, that should be easy to notice. Maybe God's mercy endures forever. Isn't it interesting that we complain sometimes when Bible teachers repeat something, but the Word of God does a lot? Maybe it's a reminder that it takes a lot of time to get through our thick skulls. Can I get a witness? How many times did your parents have to tell you to clean your room, to make your bed, for you to realize maybe it's important that I clean my room and make my bed? How many times did your parents have to tell you to brush your teeth? (laughs) Right? It's important to brush your teeth. (laughs) We're getting really close to home right now. But you keep on hearing it until you get it. The Bible repeats. Maybe we should too. Okay, next one. Look for things that are related. Um, we kind of delve into these more specifically in the next one, so I'm going to be pretty quick on this point. Sometimes you'll move from general to specific principles. General, uh, Genesis 1 does this. Um, sometimes there's questions and answers. So the book of Corinthians or the book of Romans, lots of questions and answers. Um, in fact, the second half of the first book of Corinthians is literally almost like the Corinthians sent him a list of questions, and Paul is just answering them. And so that's why um, I th- I'm pretty sure, like if you read 1 Corinthians 7, I believe it starts there. And it's just um, Paul giving detailed answers to questions that the church in Corinth had asked. Um, In the book of Romans, Paul is known for asking rhetorical questions. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Obviously the answer is no. (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. And he gives us the answer, God forbid, right? Um, Then you have cause and effect. Acts chapter 8 is a powerful passage for church history. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we're going to look at that here in a little bit. It tells us that, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses uh, of me both in, what's the first one? Jerusalem. What's the second one? Judea. There's one more. Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, where is the church? They're still stuck in Jerusalem. God says, i got to do something about this. He doesn't do it by sending a letter. You know how he does it? By sending persecution. Acts chapter 7, really famous guy dies. My middle name is, bears his name. Anybody remember who dies in Acts chapter 7? Stephen. Stephen dies in Acts chapter 7. This starts all of this persecution. If you read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, in verse number 4, the church is forced to scatter. 
And when they scatter, they take the good news of Jesus with them. And because they take it with them, not only do they scatter individually, they begin to form little churches wherever they go. So you have this cause and effect. The cause was persecution. The effect was the spread of the gospel. Cause and effect. So you look for things that are related. Next one. Look for things that are alike. Expressions to look for. As or like. They'll help you out a lot. John chapter 3 verse 15. I quoted to you John 3 16. But it's really hard to read John 3 16 without John 3 14 and 15. Because John 3 14 and 15 talk about... Um, the Old Testament story of Moses, the nation of Israel, you know what they did again? They complained. God sends quite a judgment. You know what he sends? Snakes. <laughs> Could you imagine? Listen, we live in Texas, right? God, maybe, maybe God's judging Texas. What do you think? There's snakes everywhere. Um, he, he sends snakes. And these snakes are venomous. Y'all know the difference between poisonous and venomous, right? These are venomous snakes. And they start biting people. And these people are sick to dying. So God sends, an, uh, God sends instructions on how they can be cured. Make a snake on a staff, overlay it in bronze, and put it right in the middle of camp. Bring the sick to the snake, and all they have to do is see if they look at the snake, they'll be healed. If they are too stubborn, they won't be healed. What's crazy is there was a whole multitude of people that wouldn't look. Isn't that crazy? But here's the thing. Jesus literally went to the cross, and all people had to do is a little bit of looking, and they'll find that what Jesus did really happened and that Jesus is really alive. And all they have to do... <laughs> Is look. Do you know that old song? Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Isn't it amazing that we have this story? It's a similar story. Look for things that are related. If you are preaching from John 3, you have to connect it. You have to because it's related. You have to. It's a Bible principle. You don't, you, the best, the, the most powerful punch in a sermon is when you can use the Bible. Right? I mean, you don't need more me when I'm preaching. You need more Bible because the Bible is what's going to change us. And so when I'm and preaching from John chapter 3, I need to use what the Bible has in order to bring home the point. Yes, sir. Yes, please. Deathly afraid of spirits. Okay. And uh, my family had we had a chance to stop at one of the amphibious places or what was it, an alligator farm or something, and they had a snake in there, in one of those aquarium things. And one of the workers there took it out and gave it to me and let me hold the snake. So this thing was curled around my arms and was holding it. It was a pretty good sized snake, but it was scary. So uh, my wife took a picture of it. Phone and she sent it to my 
Really? That's a really good point. Oh, boy. Yeah, ladies can be like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Look for things that are unlike. Next one. Look for things that are unlike. I don't know if that's a word, but that's what you got. Look for things that are unlike. The key word here is but. That should be, you should look for and, you should look for but. Um, Matthew 5, we've already been there. Um, the beatitude section, right? There's lots of those words used. Then lastly, look for things that are true to life. True to life. Use your sanctified imagination. I promise you, the best thing you can have in Bible study is a vivid imagination. Glean from Scripture principles to live by. Remember the people in the Bible are just like us. Maybe different circumstances, but they face the same problems, temptations, success, failures, and emotions, just like we have and do. So what I want you to do now, I hope everybody has a pen. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to do a little, a little bit ourselves. You'll need your handout. I'm going to read a little story. In fact, it was the second passage I ever preached from. My first was um, Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain, Genesis 22. Man alive. There we go. I had it marked. This one was the second. Mark 5, verse 25. Did I have this part in your handout? In the other handout. In the other handout. Okay. Mark 5, 25. We're going to read down to verse 34. And a certain woman, now here's what you're doing. You have your little book. Um, you can start now if you want to. Just make simple observations as we read. I will read slowly. Just make simple observations. Okay, verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things, of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came to the press behind him, or behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Bum, bum, bum. And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her,
came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So, let's start. We're going to make some observations. We're supposed to notice some things. The first thing we're supposed to notice is what? It's in your handout, number one. Words. Thank you. There's lots of words. All right, I need someone to help me dissect some sentences. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do all that tonight. Um, but we have a lot of words. Let's just do some, some major things. We're not going to get super in-depth right now. Remember, we're just making observations. So who are the people in this passage? The woman. So one thing we just observe, we're never given her name. She's only called the woman. Okay, some, what are some other people? Jesus. Yeah. You have the disciples. I think there is at least one more. The doctors. So you have the doctors. So if I, when you preach this passage, teach this passage, you definitely want to talk about those doctors. Who are they? What kind of doctors did they have back in, you know, AD 20, 25, 30? Did they get a medical degree? What made them doctors? So just that one observation, you've got a whole day of study, right? So you have the people down, but there is at least one more, and it's not really an individual, the crowd. Yeah. Now, from context, we'll get one more here in a second, but we're not there yet. Um, so you have the crowd. Um, uh, you have Jesus at the center. Then you have this woman. All right, so we have the people down. Um, what are they doing? Preaching, okay? All right, now, let's get to something good. Notice the connecting words. What is the very first word of verse 24? What is the very first word of... Um, I'm sorry, verse 25. And. The first word of verse 24 is and. First word of verse 23 is and. The first word of verse 22 is and. The first word of verse 21 is and. Verse 20 is and. Goodness gracious. <laughs> we have all of these connecting words. So, let's read. Verse 20 says, and he departed. Okay, so now we know that he's leaving somewhere. And he began to publish in Decapolis. I don't know where that is, do you? Decapolis. How great things Jesus had done for him. Uh-oh. So we know that he there is not Jesus. Somebody else. Done for him. And all men did marvel. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, oh, so Jesus has done some traveling. Much people, so that matches our text, gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come 
and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. So Jesus isn't really, he might have been speaking, but he's traveling. And in fact, he's traveling to an important person. I don't know about you, just making an observation, the word ruler really sticks out. So we have Jesus in the crowd. We've got the disciples in the crowd. We've got the crowd. We've got this woman working through the crowd. And we have Jairus taking Jesus to his house. The context tells us Jesus has got somewhere to be. And just by simple observation, it's life or death. Just by simple observation. I don't know about you, but simple observation tells me that if I was Jairus around verse number 30, and Jesus stopped to ask the question, who touched me? I would have been like, I don't care, Jesus. (laughs) We're going somewhere, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. See what we did? We're just making simple observations. We haven't interpreted anything. We're just making observations. And all we did was look at those connecting verses. And really, we could take even verse 20, and me knowing the chapter, we can start at verse number 1 of chapter 5. What's the first word? Oh, boy. (laughs) You know why this is? The book of Mark is the most condensed gospel there is. It's a book of action. And so there's a reason why most verses start with and or but, because everything connects. It's all connected. It's all fast-paced and moving. So very quickly, you'd end up reading the entire book if you went and, 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 all the way to the beginning of the book. So we made some simple observations. Now, what is being emphasized? You can include verse up to verse 20. What are some things that are being emphasized? How about the amount of space? That's tough. We didn't read a lot, right? This is a pretty long story, at least for looking at the words. But when we're talking about space, there's not a lot there being emphasized necessarily. How about the stated purpose? Again, that is difficult because, you know, it's just a story. But really, you could say the stated purpose is to heal Jairus' daughter. How about the order of the material? That one, I think, is pretty important. Because if you read the context, this almost seems like a parenthesis. That the point of the story is Jairus. Because he is named, right? So you make an observation, Jairus is named, but the woman isn't. And you begin to see that the order of the material is evident. The story is Jairus, and in fact, if you read from the next verse, verse number 35, the rest of the chapter is all about Jairus. You see that he's kind of the one that is supposed to be the main character of the story. And you had this little parentheses where this woman takes center stage. Um, Movement from lesser to greater is not really there, but how about this one? I think this one's important to the whole passage. What are things that are repeated? There are a couple. I really like this too. And really the entire chapter talks about this one. So it would be good to read the whole chapter. We're not going to do that right now. But 
there's at least two things that I see repeated. The first is the size of the crowd. It's talked about a couple of times, especially if you read uh, verse 20, verse 21. Then you read verses 25, um, 26, 27, how the crowd thronged and all of these different things. So you see the size of the crowd. Why do you think they added that detail? Now, this is not observation time. The observation is simply the size of the crowd. But why would that be important when you're trying to teach the passage? Let's take a step forward to next week. Because we can make another observation that gives us the answer. Look at verse number 25. And a certain woman, which had what? An issue of blood. A little interpretation. Most believe that she was anemic. Was hemorrhaging somewhere, maybe. Whatever it was, you know what left this woman frail, sickly, and weak. So that speaks to her desire to get through the crowd and get to Jesus. But it also gives us this information because, more than likely, she was, by the law's standards, unclean. And if she was discovered, she could have been killed that same day. This speaks to her desire again. So just by making a couple of easy observations, we're able to see how the meaning of the text could be pretty easy to find just by making those observations. The, the size of the crowd and the issue of blood. That's another thing that repeats because you look at verse number 26, and because of the issue of blood, she doesn't get any better, right? The doctors take advantage of her. But there's one more thing. It does happen in this little passage we just read, but the whole chapter it talks about it a, couple times, a few times. There's one word that's repeated at least twice. It's the word whole. Look with me. Oh, I'm going to have to find the first one. Let's see. Oh, yes. Think about this. I don't think this is an accident. Verse 28 says, For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. I don't think she said that to anybody. Right? Because if she said it to somebody... They might have squealed, right? They, they might have been like, hey, who are you? What are you doing? Aren't you sick, right? I'm going to guess she probably said that to herself. But look what Jesus says in verse 34. And he said unto her, daughter, thy faith had made thee what? Whole. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus said that. He knew exactly what she was there for. He made her whole. That is just a simple observation. She said it to herself, and I love it. Jesus said it right back to her. Okay? So you have things that are repeated. How about things that are related? I've actually given you a couple. Verse 25, it says she has an issue of blood. What well, could be related? Come on. It's okay to say things, I promise. You don't even have a microphone on you. I have one on me. So people online can hear me. They can't hear you, so... Even if you're monstrously wrong, nobody else is going to know besides us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. So, yes, that's great. So her faith to go, and then her healing. Faith and healing. Definitely relate. That's good. Yes, faith and healing. 
Very related. I love that. Very good. That wasn't even one I was going to bring up. That's good. So the one I see, verse 25, she's sick. Verse 26, what does she do? She goes to the doctor. <laughs> it is interesting that the doctor does nothing. <laughs> oh, man. Has anything changed in 2,000 years? Come on. Right? That's related. I see Jesus in the healing. I think that's related. Obviously, you could say faith and related. Um, uh, there's all kinds of things. How about anything that is alike? Very similar to being related. And then how about anything that's unlike? Anything that's different? I would say that one's tough. It's such a short story. Um, things that are different. That's good. Yeah. 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 That's very good. Different reaction than normal. Uh, we have to have a little bit more background information than just this passage, but yeah, that's really good. If you read just the first 20 verses of the chapter, you definitely see that, though. If you read um, the observation with Jairus, definitely would see that. He handles Jairus with almost kid gloves, where he's kind of stern with this woman right off the bat. Yeah, very good. Right. That's true. Yeah, very good. <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's a good difference. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's paying attention to this woman and kind of ignoring Jairus. That's different. Yeah, I like that. Very good. And these are just simple observations. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what we're on now. I'm sorry. I may went too fast. We're, we're unlike right now. So things that are different. There you go. Yeah, so she was healed first, and then Jesus responded, and then she responds with fear. Yeah, that's good. Let's see. Um, verse 29, and straightway. So another thing that you'll find in Mark are these types of words, these action terms. Straightway. The fountain of her blood was dried up. and She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague and Jesus think of it, this is the um, one of those terms that we'd want to circle immediately so it's boom boom she's healed Jesus turns boom boom she didn't have time to get away yeah so um, knowing himself that virtue had gone out of him turned him about in the press and said who touched my clothes I would make an observation kind of like the disciples do and his disciples said unto him Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me. Right? That just seems to make sense. Anybody else? Things that are unlike, things that are different. So right off the bat, can I just be honest with you? If you were to flesh just those few brief observations, you'd have a pretty good head start on your very first sermon. Or tenth. <laughs> uh, you really would. You you would you'd be able to um, teach a lesson. Je you haven't even gotten to interpretation yet, or application yet. What are some applications you can make? Faith is more powerful than fear, right? 
Jesus can heal when doctors can't. Right? Yeah, I mean, those are just simple things that you get from reading the text, slowing down, and making observations. And they become even more clear if you take that little book that I gave you. Right at the top, Mark 5, 25 through 34, and write down the observations on the piece of paper. You'll have all kinds of material to preach and to teach, to help out a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Think about this. How many of you know someone that's sick? Right? Imagine going to visit them in the hospital and them just crushed by the diagnosis. We obviously can't make promises on God's behalf, but if God can heal this woman, I believe God can heal anyone. How much hope would this give to somebody? Think about it. It says, and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, simple observation. You can read this passage to them and give them a lot of hope. If Jesus did it for her, why can't he do it for you? Right? Just like that, making simple observations. So here's your homework. Here's your home treasure hunt. It's not homework anymore. Home treasure hunt. I give you one verse. I even kind of wrote it out for you. I think it makes it a little bit easier to understand. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Making observations. Let's just do one just right off the bat. First observation. What's the very first word? Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So um, that is your homework. I want you to make observations from Acts 1 with the key passage being Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll just let you in on something. This was a homework assignment given to me by Dr. J.B. Baldridge. And we had to make, from this one verse, I think it was 50 observations. 50. Now, obviously, the word first word, but, really gives us a lot of help because there's seven verses before this. <laughs> but still, we had to make 50. I want to see how many observations you can make from Acts chapter 1 with this being the highlighted verse. Okay? Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Brother Ted, would you pray for us, please? Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.